0: most revolutionary gangster films of all time. After a decade of wildly popular Japanese films depicting the Yakuza as chivalrous, kimono-clad heroes, the 1970s came around like a ricochet bullet and exposed the true, brutal face of organized crime. This is Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode 134. I'm Austin Zwiebelman, temporary boss of the Bomb Squad, and with me tonight are these tough guys.
1: Hi, I'm Tim M. Sullivan. Hi,
2: I'm the Green Slime.
0: (laughs) Tonight's subject is the 1973 Yakuza film from Kenji Fukusaku, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, the 11th highest grossing film that year in Japan, raking in 530 million yen. Battles was a runaway hit that spawned 10 additional films in the 30 years following its release. Known for its quotable dialogue, animalistic violence, and fast-moving plot inspired by the memoirs of a real-life former Yakuza boss, Battles Without Honor and Humanity is a stone-cold classic that went on to influence directors such as Takashi Miike and Quentin Tarantino. But, before we start dissecting this film, we're going to warm up by talking about gangster films that we know and love. We're going to start with my only captain who has seen what lies beyond death and lived to tell the tale, Mr. Tim M. Sullivan.
1: So my answer is a boring one, but it's a movie that we're probably not ever gonna actually like do a full episode on, and it's sort of relevant to today's film. Quentin Tarantino's sophomore effort, Pulp Fiction. What country are you from?
0: What? What, what ain't no country I ever
1: heard
2: of! They speak English and what?
1: This movie is one of those movies that sort of gets lumped together with Fight Club and The Big Lebowski as uh, red flag movies. Aww. Oh.
0: English motherfucker do you speak it What? say what again say what again I dare you I double dare you motherfucker say what one more goddamn time
1: there's just a certain kind of guy that really likes those movies and doesn't get the point because they're like baby's first mildly complex movie but that doesn't mean they're not good movies though they're good movies and Pulp Fiction is a good movie and find my wallet which one is it
2: one that says bad motherfucker
1: I'll admit it was one of the movies that sort of inspired me to like get into film on a higher level and I convinced myself that it was one of my favorite movies for a long time because it just excels at every mood it's trying to convey the humor is very funny the thrilling moments are very intense I have great performances from Bruce Willis Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson Ving he has the meat reigns (laughs) (laughs) Lots of good uh, performances in there. Uh, Admittedly, there is some stuff that has aged like milk, but Mm. if you can get past that and, you know, look for content warnings, Pulp Fiction's a good one to watch.
0: Thank you very much, Tim. Wonderful recommendation, great place to start. And now we'll hear a recommendation from my captain who has written articles in publications such as Zeke Film, film scholar and employee of the Webster University film series, Ethan Hawker.
2: Hey, okay, so for a favorite gangster film, as, as always, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give an honorable mention to the classic 80s romantic comedy anime series, Stop. Hibari-kun, a generally Yakuza-related work that I probably won't have a ton of opportunities to bring up. It's the story of a young high schooler, Kosaku Sakamoto, who's orphaned and left to live with yakuza boss Ibari Ozora. And it begins this will-they-won't-they romance with Hibari, who is Ozora's daughter. Uh, He has several daughters, but Hibari is special, and Hibari is his only trans daughter. Aside from being genuinely quite funny and having a very distinct sort of style, and uh, despite having some other issues with representation, particularly race, and Non-traditional bodies. It's a really, really progressive kind of well-handled story about a trans woman uh, in 80s anime, uh, which is nice and cool. And I wanted to bring that up because I like it. I like anime, <laughs> and I like trans people. Hey, virtue signaling. <laughs> ha! <laughs> But my actual fave is a bit more boring. It's uh, Ikira Kurosawa's 1948 Drunken Angel. Arguably his first truly great film, it features a very young Toshiro Mifune in one of his very earliest starring roles, uh, only shortly after he started acting as the Yakuza Matsunaga, along with fellow Kurosawa regular Takashi Shimura as a uh, doctor who's trying to steer him on the right path. <laughs> It's this wonderful sort of tragic melodrama uh, carried by Mifune's typical intensity a remarkably strong nighttime opening sequence and it's just gorgeous and highly effective and it'll always just have a massive place in my heart I've always been very attracted to Kurosawa's non-period dramas his more modern sort of films and that absolutely counts as one of them it's also just one of the very first Kurosawa films I saw period I'm that and Stray Dog so I have a lot of fondness for it and it comes highly recommended as sort of a less conventional Kurosawa pick I suppose Thank you
0: very much much, Ethan. Stray Dog will come up later in this episode if I have anything to say about it. Great recommendations from both of you. For me, gangster films are such a delightful genre. Even if half of the best ones are by the same Catholic Italian guy from Queens, um, in Pound for Pound, my favorite one will always be Goodfellas. Oh, no! (laughs) One time I moved into an apartment, Mm -hmm. and for a week we didn't have Wi-Fi, and I sustained myself by simply watching Goodfellas on repeat. But I think it would be more fun for our viewers to recommend a lesser-known gangster film that can still contend with Scorsese's most famous output. It's the 2012 Bollywood masterpiece, Gangs of Wasiapur. film is split into two parts, it was originally supposed to be a single five-hour film, until Indian exhibitors balked at the runtime. You know you've made a properly huge movie when theaters in India think it's too long. They regularly eat three-hour films for breakfast over there. Gangs of Wasipur chronicles almost seven decades of crime from masked train robberies in the early 40s to the illegal iron trade of the 2000 aughts, it is a brutal march through the history of India. And as society evolves and modernizes, the underworld players always find a way to rig the system. Even independence from the British early in the film is seen as a prime opportunity to fight over coal mines. Unlike most of the bombastic Indian blockbusters that make their way over to American viewers, Gangs of Wasupore is bleak and filled with adult content. Swearing, sex, blood, gore. If all you've seen up to now are the PG-13 films like RRR and Patan, Gangs of Wassipur might be the best possible way to introduce yourself to India's more gritty adult offerings. But don't just take my word for it. Scorsese himself said he loved this film. Danny Bose of RogerEaper.com called it one of the most ambitious gangster films ever made and quite possibly one of the best. It's available to stream on Amazon Prime Video, and I personally cannot recommend it enough. And as for that mammoth runtime, if you can survive the extended edition of Return of the King, you can make it through Gangs of Wasipur.
1: It's
2: <laughs>
0: on. But now, it's time for the main event. Released on January 13, 1973 as a double bill with Girl Boss Revenge Sukeban, Battles Without Honor or Humanity would go on to redefine the Yakuza genre with its pessimistic tone and chaotic violence. A reflection of Japanese politics at the time, which had become strained due to factors such as income inequality and the recent collapse of the left-wing student movement, in 2009, Kinema Junpo, Japan's oldest film. Magazine ranked Battles fifth on their list of top 10 Japanese films of all time. Let's get into our overall thoughts on battles without honor and humanity. We're starting with Ethan, who, as I understand, is a hardcore Fukusaku fanboy.
2: Yeah, so this was interesting coming in for me because I largely know Fukusaku for his genre film work, particularly the 1968 film, uh, The Green Slime, uh, which was at one point the pilot for uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know, like an unfinished sort of mm. proof of concept, which <laughs> is a very fun sort of cross-cultural mashup he's well-known for a number of pieces of genre fare, which is, again, how I was largely acquainted with his work. Um, I had only very recently, we watched Battle Royale, actually, uh, in preparation for this, which is, I kind of quantify under that larger umbrella, though maybe it's its own separate beast. But no, it was very interesting coming into this film, because I'd been familiar vaguely with other Yakuza pictures, obviously the aforementioned Drunken Angel, um, and uh, particularly several films by Seijin Suzuki. Branded to Kill is the one that always sticks out most prominently in my mind, but uh, obviously Tokyo Drifter is, you know, maybe a bit more vivid than branded to kill (laughs) but uh, for some reason I always quantify those as like assassin pictures as if that's a separate quantity but uh, it was really exciting coming into this film uh, this uh, Jitsuroko Ega which is what these more sort of realistic gritty films it's mentioned on the commentary but I feel like it's worth reiterating that uh, this film is often compared to the Godfather and while there are some sort of aesthetic similarities uh, it bears I think a far closer resemblance to uh, Italian neorealist pictures and French crime dramas that sort of thing Uh, there's a lot of a, well, a little bit of Breathless, but a lot of Jean Pierre Melville in here, Les Samouraïs and Les Secrets Rouges, amongst others. Certainly, the lead, <laughs> Buntasu bears a resemblance to Jean Paul Delmando, famously in a number of Jean Luc Godard's sort of crime pictures and a number of other excellent works, sort of mixed with Boris Karloff <laughs> or Ape Fugoda. He's got an old <laughs> face, it's very distinct, and I love him in this role. <laughs> Sugawara sort of carries this picture through and is incredible despite apparently having the face of a rapist according to the director Mm -hmm. Fukusaku which is insane that's going to come back up again later when we talk about an earlier film unfortunately but no Sugawara does excellent work as sort of a more empathetic if slightly dense Yakuza figure who's cast in with these awful horror people. It's a film that's not afraid to hit you with a lot of violence all at once. People having their arms chopped off and blood spraying from their stumps. I I do love that the shootouts in this film, in particular, are rare. It's always, like, kind of nerve-wracking when a gun shows up. um, And they become more and more commonplace as the series goes on. But it builds that intensity every time a firearm is actually used. But the violence is so wonderfully photographed in that sort of documentary and cinema verite style. It tells this sort of labyrinthine and kind of sometimes maybe a bit hard to parse, during a first viewing at least, story of rival Yakuza gangs and their tragic deaths, but everyone feels significant. Uh, Fukusaku did a lot of great work to make sure that all the bit players really had a presence throughout the film, so that their violent deaths that are, you know, accompanied by the dates... Are uh, included, and I love that. It's that documentarian, like realism, that I think differentiates it from Seijun Suzuki and like the French New Wave kind of films that uh, it borrows a bit from, and that Fukusaku borrowed from previously uh, with uh, Street Mobster in particular. But overall, it has its own very unique identity, and it leads into an incredible series of films which I ended up watching all of just on the strengths of this initial entry.
1: Arita. But I'm going
2: to leave it to my co-hosts to talk about some of this film's other strengths and chat more about it in general discussion because, man, this is a cool movie.
0: I think it had one of those William Friedkin moments where the cinematographer used to, I think, shoot news footage. I was reading the Japanese Wikipedia article, which is the main source for info on this movie besides the commentary on, I think, the Arrow video release. And I think I read something that he used to shoot film for the news. Now we're moving on to a man who has loved Japanese media since the old days of watching Toonami, Tim M. Sullivan. Your thoughts on today's picture?
1: So, I'll admit, I've had a busy weekend, so I didn't have a whole lot of time to do homework for this one, but uh, I did watch the movie today, and I quite liked it. It was a good time. I think going into it with the information that this was, like, a major influence on Quentin Tarantino's work, I think that sort of painted my viewing of it, and I can definitely see the influence that goes into, uh, particularly his first, second, and fourth movies, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Kill Bill. I would say there were certain moments, like Ethan referenced the bits of just arms being chopped off and blood spraying everywhere that definitely screamed Kill Bill to me. And uh, the scene where Hiro has to cut off his pinky made me think of the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs. So I I definitely can see how it bleeds into Tarantino's style. Uh, Certainly Takashi Miike's style, having seen Ichi the Killer and Audition. There's definitely a lot of that kind of uh, stuff in there. But I also, watching it, I felt like as a movie, it felt more Scorsese to me than Tarantino. Just in the way that it sort of is showing these crime families and their feuds over a period of several years, the way that they tackled that narrative made it feel that way for me, which I thought was interesting.
2: no eji konna o
1: Мари! Good movie, good take on the gangster cinema style. I'm just saying words at this point. Back to you, (laughs) Austin.
0: I completely agree with the Scorsese comment. The way it'll skip forward in time and leave a lot of stuff to either your imagination or there's a lot of events uh, chained together where they won't depict what's in the middle. And that does remind me of, you know, Scorsese's gangster films, uh, Goodfellas and Casino, where sometimes large amounts of time will pass between what's shown.
2: I'm going
0: to talk more about the Tarantino thing, though, because that's what led me to this film and ultimately got it on the schedule. As for my two cents, I was introduced to battles through, I think, a Blu-ray commentary, where I think it might have been Edgar Wright listed it as a film that heavily influenced the works of Tarantino. And that's always kind of a fun game to play, like watching Lady Snowblood and seeing compositions Mm. from Kill Bill, or uh, recognizing the plot of The Hateful Eight bears a striking resemblance to the Taiwanese film Dragon Inn. Not to mention that this cinematic conversation has become so recursive ever since Pulp Fiction came out, with hundreds of smaller directors trying to mimic Tarantino's style, a style that is mostly a pastiche of older films that Tarantino discovered working at places like Video Archives. So the question I had was, would Battles Without Honor and Humanity be this, like, dusty film Tarantino borrowed the best moments from, or was this something comparable to the heights of films like Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill? And the answer becomes apparent pretty early on in the film after two people have their arms chopped off in the first three minutes of this beast. While it's a bit dizzying trying to keep up with all the characters in the plot on a first watch, the realism of it all keeps you totally fascinated. There's that old adage about truth being stranger than fiction, and Battles has this incredible quality, thanks to its origins as the real-life story of a Yakuza boss. People are getting bumped off left and right in these chaotic ways, even important characters. One henchman chickens out of a mission because his wife, who we've never seen, is recently pregnant. A total badass who's gunning to be boss screams like a frightened child when he thinks he's about to be assassinated in his home. These are details that live in that elusive space between drama and documentary. Moments that ring true on screen, but at the same time strike me as something that like a lay person couldn't just invent by themselves while trying to write a crime fiction you know the sheer amount of research that went into the screenplay was probably staggering Having seen all five of the films in this original series, one element that feels almost exclusive to battles is its moments of outrageous humor. Hirono cutting off his own pinky to a atone for starting a brawl, only for it to fly away and get lost in the garden, or the moment where somebody loudly exclaims that they will drink piss because they're doing improvised tough guy comebacks and not really thinking it through. And although boss Yamamori also pretends to cry in later entries of the series, The gag lands the best in this film, because you don't expect it. And at the point when everybody cries along with him, it reminded me of, like, cheesy Korean soap operas. A hilarious thing to juxtapose with all the badass shootouts and gritty dialogue. I know people speak pretty highly of Proxy Wars, the third film in this series, but for me, Battles Without Honor and Humanity is far and away the best film in the original Pentology. It 100% lived up to my highest expectations. This film could easily go toe-to-toe with Tarantino's greatest hits. If you're a fan of stuff like The Sopranos or Goodfellas because of their sort of messy and down-to-earth depiction of organized crime, you definitely want to give this a watch. And the pacing of this feels like a product of the post-Fight Club era of digital editing, you're not going to be bored for even a second after the opening credits wrap. And that concludes our roundtable reviews. But we've still got favorite moments, trivia, and history facts coming up in general discussion. Don't change that channel. See you soon. Welcome back to Bomb Squad Without Honor and Humanity. Two orders of business before we get into general discussion. MoviePalette.com. They sell art that's based off the color palettes of your favorite movies. You can hang them on your wall. Use the code SQUAD15 at checkout to get 15% off your order.
1: Get yourself a palette without honor or humanity.
0: Meanwhile, the big bosses of the film industry are taking 95% of the profits and leaving the everyday workers to fight for scraps the studio's current plan is to sit on their big pile of money and wait out the strike. But they're also losing over half a million dollars per week, so it's come down to an endurance contest between the caviar-eating motherfuckers and the heroic working class. If you want to help the people who work 14-hour days to bring you the movies you love, consider donating to the Entertainment Community Fund, the Snack List, or Groceries for Writers. The economy is only this shitty because rich people steal more than their fair share, and the best time to fight back is today. And we're on to general discussion. Here we can elaborate on finer points that didn't make it into our roundtable reviews. Who would like to kick off this verbal Hiroshima death match?
2: Alright, uh, since you, you let off with it, discussing in very brief favorites in the series, I think Hiroshima Deathmatch might be my favorite. That movie has such a good final act. Holy shit. <laughs> it's really incredible. Just earth shattering. You've never seen someone so thoroughly ruin their own life um, in, a, in a movie and just be completely betrayed. That is one of the joys of the sort of main characters of a particular entry of this film, because you get that with Tetsuya Sakai uh, in this film, played by Hiroki Matsu. as he's just sort of gunned down while looking at a uh, Kewpie doll, presumably for his child. It's just a uh, real cool movie. (laughs) But Both of them. I think uh, it's like a depending on the mood I'm in uh, kind of thing. Uh, But both of those entries are really stellar.
0: I think an interesting historical fact is when Battles was declared a success, people involved wanted to do the sort of Hiroshima conflict that big proxy war that broke out and all the violence in Hiroshima. But I think it was still ongoing, or there were details of it still being figured out. So they had to stall for time by doing the second film about this assassin who, you know, eventually uh, left the country and had a great life after that. For (laughs) me, the, the first film is still my favorite in the series. I got a weird amount of pleasure out of the fifth film, because I like that thing in gangster movies where they have to sort of advance up the capitalism ladder in order to do gangster shit again. So seeing a whole entry where they were trying to be a uh, legitimate political organization and watching that fall apart because of their Yakuza stuff, I actually liked Final Episode quite a bit, even though I think that's the one where they swapped screenwriters. And so it's probably insulting to say Final Episode is good. I think I might just have been in a weird mood watching these, but I definitely think the first one is my favorite. his brother from prison, his blood brother dies. I I actually Mm -hmm. shouted at the screen. I was like, no, I did not think this film where people are getting dropped like flies could emotionally affect me in this respect. But it was really sad to see him go.
2: Yeah, the death of his his blood brother is such a potent kind of scene, like the way they set it up with the the cops coming in and that sort of really cementing what a horrible bastard (laughs) Yamamori is.
0: I am so fucking frustrated Yamamori doesn't die. I grew to hate him deeply as the series continued. When I heard that story about the child who showed up at Buta Sugawara's house and said, I'm gonna kill Yamamori, I fully understood what that kid was thinking.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kaneko's uh, performance, Fukusaku apparently did not like it. He thought it was a bit too overly performative. I think it's pitch perfect. He's like the, the perfect counterpoint to Brando's godfather, even even in terms of like physical presence. But uh, he's just such a horrible bastard. And the way he emotionally manipulates people like that, just a horrible baby man. I believe the person he's based off of, uh, at the very least, died of complications due to Alzheimer's. So we, we, can, we can take our pleasure in that, I suppose. There, I just yeah. wish we got to see it on the screen. (laughs)
1: Take the ones where we can get them.
0: They just have a scene at the end of final episode where it's 1974 and Yamamori is just hearing the everywhere at the end of time music. I felt extra attached to Yamamori dying because Hirono is the main character and that was like the main person he had beef with through all the movies.
1: I will say that the end scene, I thought, where Hirono just comes in, shoots up, and leaves, what a fucking power move.
0: With uh, an iconic ending line.
1: Yamamori-san.
0: Just a really badass line to end your first movie on. And spoken in the, we haven't brought up the Hiroshima Ben dialect yet. I believe this was the film that popularized the Hiroshima Ben dialect, which was like a cool, like, dialect from that city that was popping up at the time. And uh, people really liked it. People thought it sounded cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of off the cuff. You can tell in the subtitles, too. It gets worse as the films go along, but there's a lot of profanity. Uh, there's a lot more, you know, casual sort of swearing and that sort of thing. You
1: fucking idiot! Yeah, a lot
2: of that, which is fun. I, I think it adds to that sense of authenticity.
1: Going back to that ending thing, one thing that was funny, though, was uh, my girlfriend was at her parents' house this weekend. She walks in, right after he says that line, I still have more bullets, and I pause to go, like, bring some stuff in, and then I unpause, and it's just him walking away. <laughs>
0: Oh my god! <laughs> what did I miss? Go! Take a fucking butter! Go! Ethan, you brought up Stray Dog earlier, and I heard uh, one of the things that influenced this film was particularly the black market montage in Stray Dog. Uh, Who does the DVD commentary? It's Stuart Galbraith, right?
2: Yeah, Stuart Galbraith IV.
0: He mentions uh, films like Borsalino and Company, and some of Kurosawa's output, like uh, The Bad Sleep Well, and uh, the Black Market montage and Stray Dog. And I want to go back and watch those, to watch them, Japanese cinema, slowly building up to depicting the Yakuza as anything other than chivalrous, cool, hierarchical bastards.
2: Yeah, I think that's the the main sticking point is that, like, in Drunken Angel, um, the the Yakuza are depicted as not great, but at the end of the day, you know, the main Yakuza character is a good guy. He is a heroic figure, and his sacrifice was not in vain. He's able to protect the woman that he loves despite having to give up his own life, whereas in Battles Without Honor and Humanity, it's willing to end on the smallest of small victories, like a public <laughs> humiliation of Yamamori in this one. Like, good people die all the time. It depicts the system itself as corrupt, uh, as sort of a very pointed kind of leftist critique. Which is uh, common in Fukusaku's films uh, Because Fukusaku lived one of the most horrible lives I've ever heard of Particularly during his childhood Uh, There's there's a very distinct thing of directors who grew up during the Second World War Particularly if they're in that sweet spot where they were Mm. young enough to be drafted Or work in munitions factories, or just factories in general Austin, do you have notes on this?
0: I I remember what happened Him and his high school class were drafted to work in a munitions factory And then they eventually came under fire Fire, and um, many of his classmates died, and then he was tasked afterwards with sort of disposing of the bodies, and he was so shook that he slept with a sword for many years after that.
2: Yeah, I believe he was 14 when he was brought to do that, and one of the other things is during the bombings, he would have to scramble and hide beneath the corpses of other students, basically, to use them as uh. cover. So yeah, he went through a lot. I don't think I'll completely forgive him for being like just one of the most spectacular men misogynists, uh, in the history of, uh, like, in an already crowded field, um, but, cause holy shit. He didn't
0: treat his prostate cancer because he wanted to fuck a woman half his age. He was sleeping with this actress, uh... had very bad prostate cancer, and was like, ah, don't do radiation therapy, I gotta pop a boner. And, and it spread to his spine and he died, but, at least... Uh, Buta Sugawara was allowed to visit him on his deathbed, he was the one person outside a family who was allowed to visit Fukusaku on his deathbed, so at least they stayed friends! Uh. Yeah. The smallest of small victories.
2: Just the littlest things. I mean, he also made probably his best known and at least like internationally film like right before as a swan song. So that's a, he went out on a pretty good note in terms of final films with Battle Royale. Buntasugawara, also uh, incredibly cool. very based man. We love a a high quality uh, leftist, communist, cool guy who generally seems quite sweet. I still don't understand. Okay, so going back to that, that face of a rapist comment in, the, the sort of prototypes for Battles Without Honor and Humanity there is a Street Mobster starring Buta Sugawara as the, the eponymous Street Mobster but he's more of like a piece of shit in that movie and it's more stylish it's more clearly inspired by like French New Wave and Seijin Suzuki films uh, it employs less of that realism but there's still a lot of like shaky camera more realistic kind of stuff It's it's got a great finale it's got some good moments uh, Sugawara is as usual great it also features an absolutely harrowing origin story for his love interest interest where she's assaulted by him and sold into basically slavery after. And it it kind of ruins the mood of the rest Mm. of the film. So take that to heart when watching Street Mobster. It's an important film that kind of plays a particular card early on that uh, messes it up for the rest of the runtime. But we have these movies. We have Battles Without Honor and Humanity, thankfully, which don't have that.
0: But in the first minute of Battles, a woman is assaulted by American G.I.s, which I read on The Japanese. Japanese Wikipedia page was barely ever depicted in Japanese cinema so even though you do have to get nailed with this assault right when you enter the movie it apparently was a brave thing to put on screen which is a really bittersweet strange pill to swallow
2: Yeah, and and at the very least there is the the caveat that she gets away from it Mm -hmm. by the end of that sequence as as opposed to Street Mobster where she's a major character and continues to love the person who assaulted her early on. It's a film that is is buoyed purely by Sugawara's uh, magnetism, his general charisma. Otherwise, it's a bit too rushed. But again, it's it's a very interesting transition period from more traditional Yakuza affair, and again, the more Suzuki-inspired, like, Nikatsu stuff that was getting harder, but uh, not quite this level of realism and sort of complicated networks of conspiracy that we see here in Battles Without Honor and Humanity and its uh, succeeding entries.
0: I have a much more light-hearted note about how this film sort of depicted the Yakuza in a bad light, taking on the Yakuza. Apparently, there wasn't much incident when Battles was initially released, just some complaints heard around town, Uh, but some of the big-time Yakuza guys depicted in this film were in jail in 73, and then got paroled later on. And these people didn't want their parole officers dunking on them because of these Yakuza films negatively influencing public perception, so they were able to block TV airings and the home video release of this film. Apparently, a serious Yakuza dude, Hisashi Yamada, had to literally die for this to come out on home video. It came out in Japan in late December of 1987, a solid 11 years after VHS was introduced to the Japanese market in 1976. So they blocked this movie for being on VHS for a minute, boys.
2: Yeah, the weirdness with, uh, distribution. Apparently, people literally just, like, the Yakuza that we're posing, it had to die, and get out of the way of its distribution, which is, uh, hog wild to me, um. And no
0: one gets to go home till we get the shots. Put on your wall faces, gentlemen.
1: Right. Woo!
2: Yeah! Oh.
0: And have you heard the note about the, the theme that plays when everyone dies? Funny thing that happens in that film. After enough times of hearing that sort of theme, uh, when somebody bites the dust, it got to be like a meme for me. I was like, oh, this fucking owns. I'm gonna put this all over the video. They like the horns blaring and the little guitar. It's such a good theme.
1: It felt like a video game thing. Like this person, <laughs> and then just, I feel like there's a there's a mod for the Yakuza
2: games or something where like every yeah. time you win a fight, <laughs> it's gonna play that track. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it has like supreme medic potential. I want that to play over like every every death scene, no matter how casual or absurd.
1: Well, you gotta have an opinion. I mean, do you think that God came down from heaven and stopped?
0: it still plays a lot on Japanese variety shows. A book written in 2003 called it the most consistently used sound effect in Japan. (laughs) Like, apparently when people get pranked on, they play the Battles Without Honoring Humanity death noise a lot. Like, it's pervasive, like how you hear Sirius by the Alan Parsons Project at every football game. Apparently it was (laughs) just all over the place, at least in 2003. They still might be using it a lot over there, who knows?
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. It's got that power. It's so punchy, too. Like, it's got that, like, almost Rick Roll, like, the bass line in the front of that, the, the drum machines. On a more note of production quality, I guess. What a weird way of describing that. But uh, let's talk about uh, Ryuzo Ueno, who was interviewed on uh, the flu Blu-ray re- release for uh, Hiroshima Deathmatch, wearing a uh, Hugo Boss shirt. For some reason, Hugo Boss is still fairly big in Asia.
0: Wonder why.
2: <laughs> but uh, it's really interesting, because his background as a fight choreographer is he did a lot of work with dance and he has a lot of interest in like uh, period dramas Gekki, samurai films and that sort of thing and I think you can kind of see that because there is this wonderful thing going on here where it marries shaky cam very documentarian style cinematography but the death's are extremely over the top the way people like flip and i think that's good like i think that that extra visual energy they add to the frame is incredibly potent the fact that people are moving so much and it's just so chaotic uh really cements just how horrible and awful this random street violence that could break out at any moment really was tetsuya sakai's death is uh one of one of several particularly harrowing deaths in this film but when he's shot at the very end and it really shows like them blowing apart his shirt and just mm. trying tr- truly covered in blood, again, while doing something for his adopted child, ostensibly. It really cements just, Yamamori, what a piece of shit. Hate him.
0: Uh, Apparently, they would sometimes film in places without permits for this, like they would practice their fights in the studios and go film them in the streets with unexpected bystanders just getting fucking owned in the background, like, why is this happening? (laughs) And I think for this film, there was a point where I think somebody's being stabbed to death And the police actually showed up, and the assistant director sacrificed himself and got arrested while the rest of the crew just bolted.
1: This movie got cannibal holocausted.
0: I didn't know that happened on Cannibal Holocaust.
1: It was like the thing of they were getting arrested or whatever because they thought actual killings happened. Oh, that. Yeah, it was after the fact. Got it. <laughs> that would be weird if the cops showed up in the jungle, though. Very funny. <laughs>
2: like, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good skin.
0: Also, love how, how just casually cops are shot in this series. Uh, when his blood brother just blows away a police officer coming out of that child's bed, I was like, Hell yeah, baby. This probably made people in the 70s very disturbed.
2: Yeah, that's that seems to be a running theme in uh Fukusaku's filmography. I do love that in an interview, I believe on the final episode of Blu-ray, his uh, son Kenta Fukusaku mentions very specifically, "I can't empathize with movies where the heroes are cops or authority figures. They have to be yeah. they have to be freaks. They have to be gangsters uh, and that sort of thing." And and I approve. Kenta Fukusaku seems like a like pretty cool kid.
0: I got a bit of trivia that's not going to be on other like Battles Without Honor and Humanity videos. So, the drug that they de- in the second half of this. Phylopon, Hmm. that's just crystal meth. Crystal meth was first synthesized by the Japanese chemist Akira Ogata in 1919. Lots of soldiers got addicted to meth because they were given it during World War II like kamikaze pilots. Then, the Japanese Ministry of Health outlawed that shit in 1951. Meth just sort of fits in nicely because the Japanese sort of meth epidemic was a huge, direct product of World War II, just like this new wave of organized crime.
1: This is not meth.
2: Again, tying it all back into the the World War II, just the fallout of that and its larger effects on society. I think it is just a really effective portrait of uh, post-war Japan, even if it's not, like, super authentic. You know, you see a lot of cars from the 60s and 70s. They don't do a ton of practical set dressing, aside from uh, TVs being introduced in later entries, which is probably the most notable instance of that. But um, there really is a sense that the Yakuza kind of exist in, at the very least, at the start with nobler goals maybe like as a sort of peacekeeping force uh, the only people who can actually kind of hold the M- the MPs particularly the uh, occupying American forces at bay because uh, the police are sort of powerless but obviously uh, that image of them falls apart pretty quickly uh, for both the viewer and Hirono uh, I-, I like that it does kind of try and do that a certain level of set dressing uh, that like oh maybe th- maybe there is some level of honor here uh, with his you know being bailed out after helping a Yakuza in prison that sort of thing that, that blood brotherhood and then we see all that fall apart it, it does a very good job of that. And I think that's, that is the one thing that the sequels can't quite recreate, the disillusionment that we experience in this film with Hirono.
0: Yeah, it's something when you start from the bottom, that little evolution is a key part of gangster movies. All right, we fought it out with words, and now it's time to finish it off with feelings. What are your final thoughts on battles without honor and humanity? Tim, would you be so kind as to begin the wrap-up?
1: yeah sure uh battles without honor and humanity uh, is a very good gangster film i definitely want to uh check out the later entries in the series and uh give this some more watches so that maybe i can start learning these characters names because there's a lot of them but it's a, it's a solid watch i definitely recommend checking it out uh, i learned after i watched that it's on Tubi, so go go watch it on Tubi. i guess
0: Might be a better option than trying to buy the Arrow Blu rays. Not everybody's got that kind of money. And Ethan, your big research journey has led to this moment. What are your final thoughts?
2: Uh, A real masterpiece of filmmaking, uh, just top to bottom, incredible cinematography, some wonderful performances, excellent effects. The Green Slime will go down (laughs) as a masterpiece of science fiction cinema. Battles Without Honor and Humanity, also really good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, boys. This has been wonderful talking with you. As for my final thoughts, Battles Without Honor and Humanity is now one of my all-time favorite gangster films. There's constant action. There's political intrigue. There's incredible character work with charming details that feel ripped straight out of the darkest corners of real life. Kenji Fukasaku was a goddamn beast for getting five of these things released in a two-year period. But, you know who else has been going beast mode recently?
2: Ooh.
0: You! My favorite underboss, the person watching slash listening to this episode of Bomb Squad Without Honor and Humanity. If you're listening on any of the audio platforms, thank you for tuning in. For those of you watching on Spotify Video, I hope you've enjoyed the uncensored action that was too hot for YouTube. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thanks for the ad revenue. We hope you enjoyed the glorious, high-bitrate visuals. Consider visiting our Patreon if you want to help the show. This particular episode was the product of lots of behind-the-scenes work by Ethan, and I would love to buy him a sandwich. Comment below and let us know. Have you seen Battles Without Honor and Humanity? Which film in the series is your favorite? Should we dedicate a whole episode to covering the green slime? Comment below and let us know. And as always, remember to like the video so we know that you're in our gang. Subscribe to the video so we know you're loyal to our gang. And hit the bell icon so we can let you know when it's about to be a balls-to-the-wall shooting match in the fucking street! Tune in next week when we'll be covering the 2003 Richard Blinklater comedy starring Jack Black, School of Rock, hosted by Tanner.
2: I'm gonna form my own band, and we are gonna start a revolution, okay? And you're gonna be a
0: funny little footnote on my epic ass. It's one of Tanner's favorite movies, and we've got a really fun special guest lined up. You don't want to miss it. And that's all for this episode. Stay safe out there. And remember, Yamamori, you fucker. I've still got some bullets left.
2: See ya. See you next time. Pinky promise.